is. I'm Kano. I'm Ambi. Welcome to Diplomacy Games, the podcast around the game diplomacy and various drinking and drinking habits of two Australian audience. Astute listeners will probably pick up that we're at the same place as we were last episode. That's right. So um, we were. <laughs> We, we came originally, uh, I remember when we came to this hotel first, it was a fucking stinking hot summer's day. That's right, yeah. Like, melting. Like it was melting, yeah. and like, it was like the, the sweat was just dripping off you. And, you know, they kind of, I think the air conditioning was busted, remember? Yeah. And they had all the windows open, so not only did you have like just dead air in here full of smelly people. But then you got all the traffic going past on Ann Street with, you know... That's right. Bikes and shit. And ambulances yeah. and fire trucks and all sorts of... But um, because, as we said last time around, we're finding... We need to kind of get a little bit better. Well, Google. Google needs to get a little bit better in understanding what's fucking open when. Yes. Uh, because we were told by Google... That certain establishments were open at a certain time, and it's not like you know they were meant to open just like half an hour before. They're like the place that we were meant to go last episode, Alexa, Alexa, was meant to open like at about I don't know twelve, right? Like lunch, and keep going to whenever. That's not the first time this has happened actually. No, it seems to be a trend around Fortitude. Maybe. If I get my shit together and not leave it to the last minute and actually kind of say, are you guys open? Email the provider. Yeah. yeah. Or Facebook or whatever the fuck they use. Sure. So we, we are still at um, the Empire Hotel. We couldn't be asked to kind of get off and our butts and have a look for anything new. Well, what are you drinking? Well, I kind of did change to a, to a wine because one beer and I'm, you know... A little bit gassy. Um, so I am on a Maxwell's Maxwell Silver Hammer Charades from the McLaren Valley. Pretty good. It's not bad at all. Yeah. I'm still on the same um, successful opening to the Black Sea as I was cool. last episode. Um, which was you managed America. to pull the same move twice. Nice. <laughs> Two games in a row. <laughs> I've got to watch you when you kind of. Um, sign up and start playing your first games in the summer classic and you keep opening to the Black Sea. If I pull two. I'm in Russia. Or Russia. Yeah, but yeah, this scenario, I'm Turkey. And I've got a firm and alliance. And next, next game, you're Russia and you also pull it off. How about oh, that? Yeah, yeah, so that's coming up um, soon, as we talked about last episode. I think you said it was uh, in July, the 23rd, 25th. Plenty of time to sign up. Still plenty of time to sign up. Heaps of time. So, yeah, see you there. Virtually. Virtually, yeah. Yes. Speaking of virtual versus face-to-face, so this will be way, way, way overdue, but um, listeners from a couple of episodes ago will remember we kind of made a decision. Yes, we're going to play a face-to-face game on the 29th of May. Mm. And yes. I put it out to everybody. And didn't get a single fucking person say, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Nobody. So it would have just been you and I sitting around Kana playing one versus one again. Well, it wasn't so bad anyway. Had fun doing that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. So no, no face-to-face this weekend. No face-to-face this weekend. I did actually get a... Um, we got a new new um, thing come through from um, Mark Pollinger. So Mark is actually in Sydney. He uh, used to play diplomacy a lot in the 70s through to the 90s. Oh, yeah. Well-established player. Um, but hasn't been into it since. Looking to get back into the hobby. Whilst he's based in Sydney, he's up in Brisbane, you know, every so often, quite frequently because his family's up here. But great to kind of, you know, organise a game. So um, thanks, Mark. We'll um, get in touch with you and we'll work out maybe when you're coming up and then... Try to organise something there. Give it a go. Give it a go. The other thing I want to do, which I've said before, is trying to get more position when the uni students aren't, you know, got all their shit going on and try to get some of that in, um, new blood into the, the game. 
or even impose ourselves on an established gaming community. Yeah, well, do that. I mean, we can always just true. kind of join up a normal, um, you know, meet-up board game group. Good games or something. Yeah. Whatever it is, and just kind of turn up, play a game or two, get known. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's, he likes strategy games. You like strategy games too. Like, hey, we've got this great game called The Flames. Have you ever heard of it? Do you, play play? Other, do you play, play other board games? Um, not a lot. Except for Catan? I've played that a couple of times. My son's got all the um, uh, pandemic ones. You know, he's got shitloads of that. Oh, yeah. He's got this other new game that he's been playing called King's Dilemma. Yeah. 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 It seems to like that at the moment, too. Anyway. I like history of the world. That's a good one. That's not the average good game. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe we can introduce into a couple other board games somewhere. Well, fuck! If we can't get anyone playing diplomacy, we're gonna have to start playing something else. <laughs> anyway, so that, 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 that's enough maudlin chat. Yep. Um, because we actually had a very interesting interview. Like that. Um, two weeks. Oh, hang on. Just recorded for us, really. Yep. Um, a few weeks ago for you. A few weeks ago for our listeners. Um, so it's Isabel Vladoyu. Vladoyu, who is the founder of the U.S. Institute of Diplomacy and Human Rights. That's right. Um, and well, there's actually a bit of a background story to how we ended up getting in contact with her but but you have to sign up for Patreon to hear that you do <laughs> and um, I, I got a lot out of this interview so uh, should we just throw it over to her sounds awesome great Isabel Vladwoyu welcome to the Diplomacy Games podcast great to have you on great to be here actually hello everyone hello your audience and hello from Washington DC there's actually quite a large, um, before we kind of get into everything, the, um, the, the game of diplomacy that we're mainly focused on, a little bit different to yourself uh, with real-life diplomacy, uh, actually has a very, very vibrant um, game community within and around Washington, D.C. So um, that might be something we could, we could talk about a little bit later. Um, but I think, I think Kana has, a, has an opening question for you to kind of set the scene for, for the interview. Mm. Sure. Sure, Isabel. I thought it would be good for our listeners um, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and what's the sort of work that you do. Oh, definitely. You know, uh, the the thing I lo- I love most in this world is like talking about yourself. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but let's start about talking about this. So, um, my name is Isabel Vladoyu. I am in Washington D.C., United States, and I'm the founder of U.S. Institute of Diplomacy and Human Rights. So, basically, what that means and what I do on a daily basis, I help people increase their understanding of diplomacy and human rights. These two fields have been uh, my go-to industries in my entire life where I prepare my background education and also my practice. Um, On a daily basis, what I do, I consult with ambassadors, diplomats, foreign government officials, and here on Capitol Hill with congressmen and senators, how they can implement programs like, you know, human rights, human trafficking, uh, diplomatic protocol and etiquette in their countries so that their countries are more, you know, open and more sustainable. So, yeah, that's in a nutshell what what we do, of course. It's not just me at U.S. Institute of Diplomacy and Human Rights. There's an entire team behind me, but I'm kind of like the face of it, the one that goes out there and promotes the good works that we do at uh, USIDHR. And at the same time, I'm the one who has the experience working in this field for over a de- uh, two decades right now. Wow. That's, uh, that, oh, sorry. You go, Kana. No, no. Sorry, Amy. You go. Um, it's actually quite interesting. So you so you were previously uh, what working within the the diplomatic core prior to um, starting the US Institute of Diplomacy and Human Rights. So you you started in the diplomatic core first. Is that correct? Uh, actually, no, I didn't start. So 
traditional diplomacy, it's, you know, the diplomacy that are, it's made by government and by states in between. But regardless of traditional diplomacy, there are other ways of diplomacy that people and citizens can interact with. One of them is, for example, NGO diplomacy, which is non-governmental diplomacy. A lot of like countries and states, sometimes they don't have any more like a mission in a specific area or a country and they rely or on nonprofit organization or non-governmental organization in those areas to promote the goodwill and make peace, basically. So that's how NGO diplomacy came about a long time ago. So I've been working in NGO diplomacy. So although I do interact directly with diplomatic corps all over the world, uh, my role here is basically to be an intermediary. And for example, here in the United States, I help the diplomatic corps understand more about the American culture and diplomacy that is done in America, which is most of the time different than the diplomacy that some of other countries do in the African continent, for example, or even in Europe, you know. So that's how uh, I came about this. And it's so funny because I started a long time ago and it's just I never imagined I'll be here necessarily to work in diplomacy. You know, a lot of people think that diplomacy is just one way like straight way you go out there you take your exam you become a diplomat and then you go visit different countries um real life it's it's not like that actually you have to do to have a track record you have to be somebody or do something in a specific field before becoming a diplomat well in my case i choose to not be a a state diplomat necessarily just to help interact diplomats in between them so that you know citizens and in countries have a better chance for the future it i i find it fascinating um uh, so our game that we talk about diplomacy obviously diplomacy plays a large role in that or, or what simulates diplomacy which is the you know you're you're making negotiations and you're talking to other people and the idea of having of, of your reputation being really important um, is, is alive and well. There's a lot written around that in our in our game, and to hear that it actually simulates to such an extent what goes on in the diplomatic circles in real life is is, is quite fascinating to me. Um, I, I'm interesting. What? How does a diplomatic like negotiation take place. What 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 are the processes between like your NGO to government negotiation around human rights, say in Africa or or, or America, take place, Isabel? What what are the steps that need to be in place for it to happen? Yeah, Kane. Yeah, well, this is a very good question, actually, which I I get asked um, not that much often, but basically, so one of the classes that I teach to my students is a class on diplomatic protocol and etiquette, which is basically the essence and, or the fundamentals of diplomacy or diplomatic practice. Before you enter negotiations, you have to be prepared. It's kind of like going to war without having any weapons with you, okay? So that's when protocol and etiquette comes handy. Okay. So in the case of diplomats, when you want to, you know, engage in peace negotiations, like probably the, the best example and the most recent example is the Abraham um, Pact that was just signed uh, a year ago here in Washington, D.C. with uh, the president, President Trump between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Now, for people who do not know protocol, there were a lot of things that stood out as potential you know mistakes if you do a protocol mistake and to give you an example for for the audience here because i know you guys are more you know committed to the act of negotiation itself and you know conquering territories and so forth so before you get into the actual act like going to war or making peace agreements you have to engage in diplomatic ways and to do that you have to respect protocol like perhaps the best example of that is like a president of a country will not address in writing the prime minister of another country because there is the protocol in between them. It's not 
equality. Okay, so the president must meet with the other president necessarily. Now, of course, right now the rules are more relaxed. So in this case, when you are trying to do negotiations, it would be a protocol mistake. Let's say I want to, you know, uh, be invited to uh, I don't know England. Okay, and then in, in instead of asking the prime minister to come and be invited to uh, England, I will just ask, you know, the environmental minister, which that would be a mistake if my issue that I'm coming to discuss is something not related to environment necessarily, you know. So that's what it means in lay terms, protocol. Now, etiquette is like you got through the door. What do we do right now? You know, how do we make peace? Well, we have to be careful, let's say, if at our peace table, let's say we have the leader of, I don't know, a country with uh, their wife and then a leader of another country with their, you know, um, loved, loved other and, and so forth. How do you arrange these people at the table? How do you make sure that when they stay and discuss those peace negotiations, they feel like, their ranks have been respected and at the same time they feel like they've been given out the opportunity to express their you know whatever they want to express there so that's how you see protocol and etiquette in real life so negotiations and peace agreements will never take place without this in your universe i'm sure you can give me plenty of, of examples how you know gaming it's not, it, even if it's like virtual sometimes, it's still the negotiations. It's much more than that, just the act itself on negotiation. Isn't that right? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you touched a lot there, Isabel, around obviously etiquette and protocol and so forth. But um, on, on top of that, those actual negotiations that do occur, and this is probably of, of particular interest to, to our listeners, um, often require a, a varying range of different soft skills for you know uh, being able to to um, break through an impasse. Let's just call it that way, where maybe there an element of trust has broken down over time. Um, do you get involved in any of of that from a, an education point of view, or, or what are those type of skills that you think are, are essential to um, re-establish trust trust into? work through issues where um, in a real life environment sure well my top two will be communication like great communication skills no matter if it's like oral communication or written communication the, the better you are, are at expressing what you need like asking what you need or want the more you can get, you know, that's the first step then the second one is persistence if we are not persistent in life We'll never accomplish anything. You know, we sometimes get more no's than yes. Uh, sometimes we fail. If we are not persistent, like going there and trying to do a like peace or trying to do negotiations or, you know, winning the game. Um, if we're not persistent, then nothing, nothing else matters, you know, so you can be the best communicator out there. But um, persistence is like the key. So when I think about myself, in the field of diplomacy, which, by the way, I am a 30-year woman. I'm blonde, and I have this disadvantage of, like, sometimes being a woman in a conservative world because a lot of times diplomacy is the world of men, unfortunately, still. So if I wouldn't have these two skills, like knowing how to handle myself around people by being a good communicator and at the same time be persistent, like they kick me out, I'm coming through the window, uh, then uh, I will not be able, you know, to succeed. So I think these two skills, soft skills can apply for everyone, in, for your listeners and for everyone in their lives, you know, daily lives. Uh, earlier on, I think at the start of the interview, I mentioned that there was actually a, a bit of an active diplomacy board game community around around Washington DC. Um, this may sound a very strange question for you, but ha did you kind of know about the game prior to us connecting uh, around having this conversation? Had you heard of it through the traps at all? 
funny to ask about this yes i did know about the game which which is a bit weird because i'm not a big gamer myself like i don't play games in general but i heard about this game because i do a lot of research in general and i felt like i've never seen something so present so actual that it's being taken to the level of a game and that for me it's fascinating actually because you know I don't know of many games for example in the human rights area you know it's like what do you do you know play which one knows more human rights like I know 30 and I know 10 it's kind of like fascinating how this plays um around and yeah it was like one of the few things that I knew about like there's a game about diplomacy which fascinated me I didn't know, though, that there's a big community here in Washington, D.C., so I might have to take up on you uh, on that and and check that out. (laughs) So I I think they're called the the Potomac Tea and Knife Society. Nice, nice. (laughs) Um, Isabel, uh, the game Diplomacy, it it sort of simulates simulates the world of Europe um, just prior to the breakout of World War I with all of those... Um, alliance structures and balance of power um, arrangements, which what led it to you know the the, the world war as it as it occurred. Um, I was just wondering, with your experience and knowledge of the world as it is contemporarily, um, are there other parts of the world right now that um, sort of standing in a similar situation where um, there is that balance of power or alliance structures? I mean, so you mean like the upgrade, like if you can, if I can bring up some ideas for upgrades for the game, like, or whatever might be contemporary interesting. I think like one of the most interesting things that I've, like, I I personally know that there are not many books, not many writings about it's the the protocol I I have been mentioning. Unfortunately, there are so many unwritten uh, rules, but once you get a hold of them and kind of like understand them all, you can, can create an entire new dimension on how that plays. You know, I mentioned earlier the Abraham Accords that happened here. Now, for somebody who's very well trained in protocol, uh, when when they gave the people to sign, like the different, like the uh, the the prime minister of Israel had to sign uh, the document, uh, the peace accord in uh, Hebrew. Then the um, uh, person from uh, the United Arab Emirates had to sign it fr- in in their uh, in Arabic, and there was a protocol mistake because they switched those around, and then the person who read, the, you know, Hebrew was like trying to read in arabic and so forth so if you like if you don't know how to handle this it can be like a total game like game changer like how do you like know exactly how how to handle yourself in in public without making mistakes like this now in terms of like different areas of domination let's call it like that there, there are a lot of territories uh right now even here in in the united states that that um not that necessarily you have to claim them, but there is a battle in between, you know, not Democrats and Republicans, like not political games, but it's it's a battle between the people who are have been here, for example, the uh, American Indians, okay, and their lands have been taken away, uh, and they are still struggling to go back to where it was and still recover some of their lands. So it would be interesting to see something like that because I think that will offer them an opportunity to be heard there is i speak with a lot of them from the, their community and there is a huge issue that their even their burial sites are being taken away and so forth so anyway it's my uh, it's a much deeper issue but that that would be one thing that comes to my mind right now immediately sure um i i know ambi's been involved with some um translations uh translation versions of of, of a variant of the diplomacy game, Ambi. The lead plays on talking that. about. <laughs> uh, so sorry, um, Isabel, you, you spoke about um, the the mix up between Hebrew and Arabic and the sort of the. Oh yes, now I understand. <laughs> the, um, the the linguistic barriers that I imagine would be, well, would be would play a massive role in in the whole diplomatic sort of foreign. Um, 
negotiation sphere. Um, I'll, I'll just pass that over to Ambi because he's had more. Yeah, so, so I think the context, it's not so much a question, Isabel. I think it's just more a statement of, of, of showing a similarity. So um, one, one thing that we've been involved, well, I've been involved in before, is playing the normal game online. But um, there, there's been a, a process which is deliberately, um, deliberately making it hard to communicate. So normally you would kind of communicate in a, in a normal face-to-face game with just talking to people. Uh, in an online game, it's usually by typing messages. And, and this particular game was an online game where, uh, let's say if I was Germany, um, basically I was also allocated using Google Translate uh, a rather obscure national language within the boundaries of what would have been um, the the former German Empire, so to speak. So I might get something which is like Schwabian or something. So uh, and then someone else has, you know, if they're in France, they might get, um, you know, um, Brittany, which is like an actual old old established language. And the idea being, you had to kind of go through Google Translate with these obscure languages translating into the other obscure language, and then eventually back into English to try to work out <laughs> from, from where we were going. No, I think it's very similar because imagine like if you would translate, sometimes Google Translate doesn't translate that good. So if you will say something that it's inappropriate or something like that, just in the case with the accords, you know, everything who could have been go. Are you giving me Hebrew, like Hebrew to write, or like are you giving me, you know, uh, Arabic to read? Like I'm out of here. No peace accords. We are doing. That's kind of like similar, like here. If you don't have communication in between users, um, like you know the chat messages and everything, it's it's so hard and makes me makes it much more difficult to enjoy something that should be enjoyable in the end, you know, or should be you know challenging yourself. So it's even if it's more challenging trying to you know translate or do. Uh, stuff like this at the same time it allows you to kind of like understand that this is life you know this happens in a game or it can happen in in real life so many times i've been with diplomats that they speak like specific languages i'm like i don't speak french it's like can we talk in english (laughs) and things like that so it happens you know i i know exactly unfortunately in diplomacy face-to-face world you can't actually do that you can't google translate so you have to learn um which that can go again into the soft skills. I had to learn basic words in many languages. Like I know a couple of words in Arabic, I know in Hebrew, I know in uh, German, in French, in Spanish, like in in many languages so that I'm able to communicate uh, or at least establish some common ground when I meet with somebody from a different country, you know. So that can be in the soft skill (laughs) question that you asked me earlier. No, that makes sense. Um, if you kind of, I mean, going back, and Kana mentioned this before, I mean, the, the, the board game is based around, a, you know, a pre-World War One environment where there's essentially a multipolar world. Um, the world as, as a whole has actually now gone, went from that through to a very much a bipolar world during the Cold War um, through to almost now back to a multipolar environment if you kind of look at it globally with, you know, influence from China and Russia and so forth like that. What are your thoughts at the moment around how that multipolarity um, influences uh, engagement with uh, other parts of the world, which would be, you know, within the developing world, say, for example? Well, of course, we have made progress since World War One and World War Two. I tend to believe that. Um, but it's still, I don't know, there's... We recognize the diversity of the different countries and territories and we fight for territorial integrity and sovereignty. However, we kind of like forget about the aspect of human security. You know, that goes beyond, it transcends basically any territorial borders. Um, I, I don't know what to say about this necessarily. It's just like we need to think also about the security of the individual, security of the community itself and then start building those communities i don't think like countries with borders work anymore you know there there are so many systems in the world right now that weren't there in the world war one like the european union you know like the african union and so forth that allows for free movement or free trade or free movement like in the, within the territories that kind of like proves 
you're not bounded by a specific area. Although you can rule a specific area, you still have to play nice with the neighbors, if you want to call it like that, you know. So that's how I view it in, in nowadays society, let's call it. Mm. The, the word the borders itself is a very, um, I know, a contended, contested concept, I guess, um, in in some of the literature I've been reading recently. And it, it's it's interesting to hear around, like, just how poor are some of these um, issues of human rights and communities still are and, and are in, in the world. Um, I, I wanted to, I guess I wanted to ask um, in regards to, you know, how, how the nation's work and, and be friendly together um if there might be look there's a history of animosity for instance um and they come to an agreement but they can't be shown to um be in communication for for whatever reason um this 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 concept of backdoor or quiet diplomacy how um how important is that in the in, in, in getting things resolved, Isabel? I personally don't necessarily believe in quiet diplomacy. I think it's just a, a paradigm shift somehow, or it's trying to be a paradigm shift from like open diplomacy. Um, at the same time, it's like, what are, when you look at different types of diplomacy, and we, we touched up upon this at the beginning of our discussion that, you know, NGO diplomacy, and there's business diplomacy. When you're trying to create a new way of diplomacy, you have to see if it's reasonable and it's actually if it's going to bring you more success than other types of diplomacy have done. You know, you cannot innovate in the in the industry necessary just for the sake of innovating. So I feel like this quiet diplomacy, it's just not necessarily redundant but it's like why would we need it open diplomacy already goes over the fact that citizens are allowed to say something about if you see something wrong and also you are allowed to promote your own country or nation or whatever and at the same time you're allowed to voice you know to raise your voice in case you're witnessing atrocities or violences that are happening so there's nothing that you know, you cannot achieve with with means of diplomacy that are right now. Uh, the new administration here in um, in DC, it's basically you know uh, working towards developing new forms of diplomacy so that it reaches the heart of more people in the world and kind of like the same understanding. But at the same time, they know that they operate within the the margins of the constitution, so they are not able to do more than you know the constitution. Um, restrict. So I, I'm not sure if I make many sense right now. A lot of sense just because I, my background in the legal, you know, it kind of like I have a specific narrowed vision on what that means, um, and I don't want to confuse the listeners. But the whole idea is that why would we need quiet diplomacy if we already have other types of diplomacy that can achieve the same means, meaning like open diplomacy, citizens diplomacy, NGO diplomacy, and so forth. You know. I think probably the the avenue is where you've got um, probably a, a, a public a face. Let's just put it that way. So let's say for one reason or another, two countries are and have a long standing history of. Um, not trusting each other. So like right now as we're recording, we've obviously just gone into a situation where there's been a ceasefire uh, between the Palestinians in, in Gaza or, or Hamas and, and Israel. So there's obviously a, a very long back history there of of, um, of um, a lack of trust at different points of time and then eventually you kind of get to a situation where things can be, you know, brokered for ceasefires and, you know, we've had situations in the past where there's actually been, you know, formal peace agreements. Um, I, th I think probably where, where Kano was getting at was where you've got that animosity and um, 
there's a face saving, so to speak, where you, you can't be seen to be giving ground, uh, whether using back channels um, like another country who, you know, you, you both kind of trust to kind of act as a, a third party, an honest broker in that situation. Uh, was that probably where you were getting at with the, with the question, Kana? Um, yeah, in, in many ways. Um, I was kind of angling um, sort of towards the next question around um, uh, what what to do if, if you're kind of confronted with intentionally false statements in diplomacy. Um, uh, if, I'm, I'm just wondering, has, is there much has, – has that occurred? Like, I'm sure – yeah, it happens all the time, you know. No, yeah, but intention, no, intentionally <laughs> false. Like, like, um, you yes. know. I, I, I know, <laughs> Sorry, look. Words, okay, but... I, I'm going to I'm going to say, look. Um, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, um, Isabel, um, with with, with your surname, I'm, I'm not quite sure what what your what your heritage is. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll use the example of you know um, Russia under Vladimir Putin, which is like, oh no, we didn't do anything with you know knocking you know firing missiles or whatever like that to take out passenger aircraft. It's got nothing to do with us, even though it's plainly obvious all the evidence that yes, it has everything to do with it. So yeah, the, that stuff still does occur. You know how so is, the, is your question then kind of around? Where people are being blatantly dishonest, how do you you manage that in a real life environment in the diplomatic space? Thank you, Andy. Yes. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Actually, uh, you know, diplomacy is actually an invisible world. So the same way as Andy said, you know, the same way you deal with a lie in reality, you'll have to do. One of the things that I suggest always to my students is etiquette. You know, if you have more etiquette, you knowing like. A lot of people confuse etiquette when they talk about etiquette with the fact like etiquette means how you sit at the table and which fork you eat and salad and, you know, um, the the first meal, the second meal and so forth. But etiquette is not about that. Etiquette is about how do you address or how do you respond to specific statements that are that are done, uh, you know, and they are uh, in your way. So, I mean, um I'm not sure exactly like to pinpoint like a specific example and I'm not sure I'm allowed to say things like that in public. But uh, what I would suggest the audience and the listeners here is, you know, uh, go over the like the rules of etiquette. And if somebody is like lying to your face, there are ways, diplomatic ways or how you can, first of all, find the truth. And then second of all kind of like gain an apology uh that's how i call it in in diplomacy you know you gain an apology from the other side and then you make peace again you know because the whole purpose of this world is for all all of us to live in harmony and peace if we lie to one another then it's so hard to kind of like you know understand and be human again but most of the people in this world are good so just find out those people who are good and try to um you know help them find their way for those who have lost it somehow excellent um i don't have any more questions kana how about yourself um no i'm definitely going to go away and look up etiquette in diplomacy terms i think there's that, that sounds fascinating isabel thank you for um letting pointing us in the right direction so so isabel if um if any of our listeners want to learn more about about yourself and the u.s institute of diplomacy and human rights um what what should they do sure well it it was great uh you know i i wanted to go out there and look at etiquette and protocol unfortunately these tools were not created in schools you know you'll think like they will teach you in school so that you you kind of like arm yourself with what you need at all. So in order for your listeners to reach me or reach my team at USIDHR and find out more about etiquette, protocol, diplomacy, and, and so forth, uh, it's uh, www.usidhr.org. That's the website. We are a nonprofit think tank here in Washington, D.C. Uh, those who are from Washington, D.C., uh, listening to or playing the, diplom- the uh, diplomacy game, then they can stop by and say hello. And, yep, yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's it. And I'm available for everywhere and social media and so forth. Maybe they can bring a board along and you and your team can have a game during lunch hour or something. Wouldn't that be fun, though? You know, I bet, like, 
sometimes you go to Congress here and I don't know if you ever experienced, uh, I know like in Europe, it's, it's a bit different, but here we had like this policy of, you know, the Congress is like people's Congress. So anyone can go there, play board games and do whatever they want to do, you know, bring their, their friends and uh, just, you know, wander around and that's, that's a fun thing. So we can do that here. I, I will give you advance warning that the actual board game takes a long while to play. Sometimes it's not uncommon for a game to go four, five, six, seven hours. So um, y- if, if you're doing that, you might just want to kind of, you know, call it quits at a certain point and come back the next day and restart again. So, Well, definitely. We'll have to block in my calendar. Whenever I do something fun, I have to block my calendar to, to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, thank you very much for your time, Isabel. Thank you both. Thank you. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. That was fun. I I can see how close the diplomacy simulates reality in many ways. Yep. I did, I did. Um, I, I think because um, due to the nature of, of the institute, obviously being a not-for-profit, but also straddling not only the diplomacy in a real-world sense, but also the human rights sense, um, I think a lot of the concepts that Isabel talked about probably are more towards that human rights element as well. Yeah. Not, not exclusively, don't get me wrong. So um, I think some of, the, some of the points that she raised or discussed were um, a, li- a lot less real politic than many of our listeners would appreciate and not only see in the game but see on the world stage. You know, I talked about that example around, um, you know, when the, the Russians kind of, you know, supplied all the missiles and things that shot out, you know, jumbo jets out of the sky and they're going... No, 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 that's not us. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, there is there is a certain reality around, um, you know, actor states who have their own agendas and you know won't admit to certain things, which is understandable. It's been that way, you know, forever. Having said that, you know, like there's there's a certain etiquette that's expected. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that fully resonated. That was with, interesting, yeah, with me. Um, just how important having those norms or those cultural expectations established yep. and understood and agreed upon in order to make a diplomatic overture to work and it got me thinking you know you, you, your belligerent neighbour the, the diplomatic agreements that will often happen on the board almost by default because you culturally might know of those alliances to occur but then watching a board of players who have never experienced the game discover it all fresh you know you can see it's a different set of norms or cultural expectations that that, that, yep. that, that come to the table um, I must admit, the one thing that I walked away from this interview about was a hunger to get someone on the show who has real stagecraft experience. Sorry, not stagecraft. Fuck. That's like if you're on a, on a, on a rock station. Appropriate with Van Halen saying to play. Um, statecraft experience. You know what I mean? Someone who's actually worked in, say, the you know sector of state. Sorry, Department of State, what am I saying? Yeah, something you know, like that. Someone like that who's actually been, you know, a career diplomat. Not only just to kind of touch on some of the points that Isabel talked about, but some of the other, you know, machinations and subtle uses of power and interpreting what people say. And it'd be awesome if they also played the game, or have played the game, to be able to provide that lens on things. So I think... That would be a really awesome special thing. That would be fun. That, that, that would be good. It would be fun. It would be, I think, very intriguing. 
And there'd be certain things I'm sure they couldn't say, but other things they could kind of hint at. You think? Yes, yes. I have to say, I've been listening a bit to um, some of the stuff that Eric, Edward Snowden's been saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just it randomly pops into my YouTube feed. And some of the, I don't know how paranoid I should be in. Why? About just how much surveillance might be going on and all that data stuff that's being collected and what uses it would be put to. So where'd you hear about this? Edward Snowden. No, 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 no. We've been listening to one on the um, podcast or something, or what? No, just randomly. Just random random feed on YouTube. You know. Anyway. I'm upset about that. Because I'm sure there's keywords that are getting picked up by the state to monitor uh, what's being said. Very true. Um... One thing I want to talk about, oh, yeah? which came out of um, a friend of mine, an American friend of mine who, who lives and works in Australia, works you know, in one of my teams, um, she made a recommendation to listen to a certain podcast called Slow Burn. I think it's put out by Slate or somebody. It covers all sorts of you know um, big political things that kind of took a long while to unravel, you know, like Watergate, you know, oh, yeah. things like that. And the one that she recommended was around um, Bill Clinton and the whole Monica Lewinsky stuff, okay? Yes. And I was listening to it, and then I heard a certain thing. Now, do you remember what state Bill Clinton was the governor of before becoming president? Oh. Um, no, I can't remember. Michigan? Wisconsin? No, 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 no. Florida? No. No, 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 no. Remember a, um, a certain place that you always um, mispronounce? Uh, uh, Arkansas. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to play a little bit of this. And look, listeners, um, we've obviously got a little bit of rock music in the background, but I'm going to try to put it close to the, the, to the recorder and hopefully Kana can listen to it. Maybe you can lean in a bit, Kana, okay? So right, I want yeah. you to listen to this, okay? So are some of the young hotshots at the White House who are not from Arkansas, like George Stephanopoulos. But the Arkansas crew was separate. There was even a recurring dinner gathering they called Arkansas Night. In his memoir, Webster Hubble described it as a court in the storm. But the Arkansans' tendency to stick together okay. looked like clannishness. <laughs> yes! <laughs> so it's not Arkansas, but they're Arkansans. Arkansans. So you're from Arkansas, but you're an Arkansan. Arkansan. Arkansan, yes. So you were a little more, bit right. It's more peculiar and peculiar. Why would you call yourself an Arkansan? Well, why do people from Melbourne call themselves Melburnians? They drop out the O. And the E. Yeah, but it's an entirely different spelling. Arkansas to Arkansas. That's okay, you're right. It's the same spelling, but with different pronunciations. If anyone from Arkansas is listening, tell me. I'll be interested. That's right. Well, we've had plenty of people in the US who confirmed it's called Arkansas, but no one's ever <laughs> said, what do you call someone from the state of Arkansas? They are a... A Kansan. Kansan. Yeah, right. As opposed to an Arkansanian. Or Arkansanian. I don't know. Actually, what are you saying? Are saying Arkansanian. I don't know. It's easy for us. We're Queenslanders. Yeah. But if you're in Brisbane, you're a Brisbaneite. Yeah. If you're in New South Wales, you're a New South Welshman. Yes. Victorians are Victorians. Tasmanians are Tasmanians. South Australians. South Australians other ones. They're easy. South Australians. West Australians. Kind of like Arkansans. Yeah. It's a bit more of those regional ones you have to sort of drill down a bit to your, your city or your town. Like Townsville. If you're from Townsville, what are you? I don't know. What are you? Are you a Townsvillian? Probably. Townsvillianite? I don't know. Just see how language works. Yes. Anyway, so enough of that uh, linguistic geography lesson. <laughs> what have we got next on the agenda, Kayla? Well... 
you remember how we joined the game together? Yes, Ratty Bastards. Ratty Bastards 2. Yes. Just because you wanted to call it Ratty Bastards and someone else had called it. Already had a game called that once. Probably yourself. Maybe me. Um, it's probably a Rat Wars game. Yeah. Um, are you still in it? Well, at the time of the recording, yes. By the time the recording comes out, I don't know, because of a delay in recording. Now, this is an anonymous game. We don't know who each other are playing. But I can say things aren't looking good for me. So maybe if you just kind of, you keep your phone on your side of the table. So let's bring up our little um, games. You stick to your side of the table, I'll stick to one. Actually, I've got to put in some um, build orders soon. Because, I oh know, I can do it on the way home. Five hours build orders. I've got to build. No, I've got to, I've got to remove a unit. Oh, I have a build. Yeah, fuck up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so, um, we are playing a 18, a classic 1898 map. So, 1898 was a variant that Kana has had great success with in the past. And based on what he's saying, it seems like he's still having some reasonable success with. You start with, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm doing this wrong. No, you're right. You start with one unit. Yes. And it's within a certain predetermined supply centre that would normally be one of the three supply centres in a normal country in diplomacy. Yes. But you don't choose, the boards work all that out. Yes. Can you? I can't remember. Can you pick initially if you want a fleet or an army? No, just given it. Just keep giving it. Okay, yeah. cool. No problem. So anyway, you start with only one supply center and one unit, and then you just move out from there. I think last time around you said whatever is the at the end of a certain year, whatever you've got, become your home supply centers. You can only build on them. But I've seemed to have noticed you can build anywhere. The fuck you want. No. You can only build on the supply centres that you owned at the end of autumn 1902. Really? Yeah. You can't build wherever you want. I don't know, I don't think I held my supply centres that long. <laughs> um, okay. But we can't really talk too much about it because it's called the war and it's gumbo. Yeah, all I can say is I'm down now to three supply centres. And I, long term, as I said before, by the time this comes out, I don't like my prospects of surviving. I think next time we catch up in a pub, dead. I will be dead. Because this particular player is running rings around me. It's kind of like in, um, in Top Gun, when you get to the final scene, you know, when the, you know, the Americans and Russians are going toe-to-toe. And I can't remember who the fuck it is. It's got like, you, you see this thing of like an American, like Tomcat, and yep. there's all these fucking MiGs just swarming around it. It's like, where the fuck did all these, you know, assholes come from? It's exactly the same thing here. They just pop out of the air with, with Fog of War, which is what this variant is, and it's just like, where the, I, I actually, I honestly thought I had, I actually <laughs> thought I had the upper hand against this particular player only about two turns ago. And then all of a sudden it's just like swarms of fleets are hitting me. And armies. And I'm going, what the, where did these assholes come from? And I really thought it was probably going to be you, but it sounds like you're doing well, but not that as well as that. So you've got to watch out for this player, Kana. Well, I don't know who it is, because I don't know who you are. Yeah, I don't know who you are, but you got to just what, don't trust anyone. Well, I have to say, I've got, a, I've got a hint at who you are, given that you just started talking about fleets. Oh, yeah. Coming out of nowhere. <laughs> and armies. Oh, yeah, you did say armies. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And given that your home supply centres may not actually be where your home supply centres are. Correct, are, yes, so yes. It could actually be anywhere on the board. I will say one thing I did is I, I did, based on what you said around that, that rule, I didn't necessarily create my home supply centres in what would be the native homeland of the country on a normal classic game. I had the one starting one there, 
but then I've reallocated my other ones elsewhere into neutrals. You're England, aren't you? I never said anything <laughs> at all, Kana, around anything like that. Stop making wild, wild assumptions. Let's leave that you're being attacked by England. No, no, I'm not, going, I'm not going to say, you know, if I'm England or if I'm not. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we'll have to wait and see what you are then. When, will you I'm, tell the audience if you get to... Oh yeah, when I, get, yeah. when I get killed, I'm happy to say yeah. sure. And hopefully, if I'm lucky, it'll be like, you'll be like then kind of going, <laughs> just jumping up and down, and it'll be you after all. Arsehole. Anyway, hey, I'm out of a wine, you're still going on your beer, what do you want to do? Um, yeah, I'll knock this back. Actually, we, we're actually angling for shorter episodes, aren't we? For this one, and then we can do a, a Patreon after this. So we probably need at least another drink. We do need at least one more drink. All right, let's get another drink. And after that, a public service announcement. Public service announcement? Yes. Oh, very good. And then, um, Who said we're not Patreon. kind of caring about the community? Yeah. I think our listeners get a kick out of this one. Cool. All right, we'll be back in a second. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. So if we quickly change locations, it's because there's a dude setting up to get cranking with the guitar. He's so. got his amp and shit, and he's put on little signage there. And... So I've um, my Divided States game, I'll just mention quickly before the PSA. Oh, yeah? First time I'm seeing this is the same time you're seeing this, because you're not in this game anymore. Yeah, you apparently got eliminated. So um, I'm this player as in there. I think I yeah. mentioned to you last yep, time because yep, you've yep. been eliminated or whatever. So I have moved up here. To be able to take that one out, I did help this dude. Oh yes. So I'm still been able to. I've been able to maintain this alliance here, which is really really handy because he had like about three or four builds last turn. Yeah. And he didn't kind of move any of them my way. And I think the fact that I guessed that he was going to move there and helped him out, that hopefully will give me some street cred, further street cred. Are you following a similar strategy, you know, keeping within your borders as much as possible? I've yeah. done that before. Yeah, it even. kind of worked for you. Yeah, sometimes. Do you feel like that works better on those larger maps? Where, because there's so much chaos going on, you can just, you only really can focus on one or two things at a time and hope for the best elsewhere. Yeah, I think so. Interesting enough, actually, that's very interesting. I have been for a while, just been. Um, I remember you, you remember I was in conflict with this player over here for ages because he attacked yeah. me, and um, that's how things start. That's how things start. Yeah, <laughs> someone pokes in the eye. No surprises. You want to poke them back. But um, but he's okay. he's, he's so now what's happening. He's he's manoeuvring to go elsewhere, is he? Yeah, which kind of sends to me that I can probably start you know easing up and whether I start looking at other alternatives. Potentially, yeah. But a bottleneck happening here. Bottleneck? What do you mean? It's open, you mean, or what? Oh, elongated. That's the problem well. with yeah. I need to kind of I need to I need to beef up, consolidate. I'm a little center. I'm a little skinny runt at the moment. I need to yeah. kind of you know have a bit of weight gain, five thousand or whatever. Still haven't said that. If you were playing a uh, on a classic map, you'd be well, probably in the lead. Nah. Why? Yeah, well, it's been a while since I've had that many supply centres on a classic map. It's not a classic map. I know, but that's what I'm saying. You know, you might feel skinny, but you've got quite a bit of... Yeah, but that being said, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily coming first or anywhere near it at the moment, so... Um... I will say the number one player at present when we're recording this has got 21 supply centres. Oh, yeah. And I won't say how many I've got because it might kind of give it away. But you're not near the bottom, though. I'm, you know... Yeah, no, that's not where you want to look. You want to look at how many players are on their way out. Yeah. And you're looking at, on a large map like that, you look for countries that are at least half your size and below as being your ones on the air. You know? Yeah. 
That's good advice. I hadn't really thought of it that way. I've always said that you're a better player than me, Kane. And most people don't believe that. I think those people are very, very well ill-informed. <laughs> you just play more than me. <laughs> That's what? You just play more than me. Not much at the moment. I'm only in like two VDIP games and the one, you know, okay, backstabber yeah. Media Wars game. Yeah. How many are you in at the moment? Oh, just the one. Just the one. Okay, so technically yeah. I do play more than you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some of our listeners would go, what? That's it? Like, there's some guys out there that play like, you know, 20 at a time. 20 at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I promised a PSA before his drinks. Yes, you did. Yes, you um, did. And... I'm not going to name names in this, but as people know, I'm, I'm part of the mod team on VDIP. And I thought that I would just give a PSA about what not to do when you're being investigated by the moderation team. Okay, so were you, you this is like a case study? No, 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 no. no this is more like a humorous aside, okay. you know, like a backseat glimpse into um, some of the shenanigans that we get, that we see. Sure, and look, um, I was talking about this from a VDIP point of view, I'm sure it's exactly the same things going on over at PlayDIP and WebDIP, and yeah. I don't even know if there's that type of shenanigans going on in Backstabber and how you pull that off, but anyway, go for so it, Kane. this particular player, uh, some red flags popped up on our system and we got interested in... Um, who he knew. There was some suspicious activity going on, and so we questioned a number of players about their sides of the story. You know, could you please explain what is going on in your words, kind of thing, right? Yep. This guy replies to a friendly request by the mods. So the, the typical mod thing is that, you know, you've got a number of players, and it's hello such and such, our site's flag that you're... Um, that there might be some connections to your account, you know, between your account and X, Y, and Z's accounts. Yep. Um, could you explain some of this? You know, tell us why your flag, essentially, why the site's what this stuff up. Anyway, so this guy replies to his friendly mod team, Greetings, mod team. I can see what you are getting at. However, your answer makes me suspicious. I can see that I'm dealing with some sort of AI auto-response mechanism implemented on this site. Can you please answer the following three questions so that I can confirm that I am dealing with another human? I am sorry for this inconvenience, but I would feel more comfortable responding after this Turing test is given. A Turing test? <laughs> One. <laughs> if you were to paint yourself as an abstract painting, what colours and shapes would, they, would you use and why? <laughs> Suppose you have an opportunity to fly to the moon. Describe the emotions that you feel as you view the Earth in space. Three. What are the first three words that come to mind when you think about your mother? I will not hesitate to answer your inquiry when I am sure that I am not talking to a robot. Best wishes. Okay. This is, uh most entertaining I would have thought usually most players if they got called out would just go to ground or just deny 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 or whatever well and to be perfectly you, honest you, like the deny the deny deny when you can see there's something suspicious going on it actually plays raises more and plays. look all, all, the, all the systems have processes in place <laughs> a little bit proprietary but you know yeah. honestly if you get if you get asked to explain you know, what do you know between people? Do you know them? Have you played games with them before? Um, it's just to come clean, straight up. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, if, if, if there's there no, is... There's no reason why you can't play games with people you know. Exactly. You just yeah. need to kind of be open and clear around that, and particularly yes. the fact that, you know, you're not going to be, you know, working together out of the game, or because you're all mates, you're going to kind of kill all the other fucking bastards and then scoop the pools and become number one in the rankings. The negotiations of the game stay inside the game, essentially, is what you want. And then, of course, there's the risk that, you know, someone may or may not... Also, there's another thing where they could be creating fake accounts or other ways to manipulate the system because they're in it for the glory of the points, not actually having a good time. It's all about the game. Anyway, I just thought I'd share from the other side of, of... 
of what, what you know, just giving our listeners a bit of a glimpse. Are you in a position to kind of explain what the mod's response were was to that? Um, well, let's, let's have a look. Actually, I don't think we took it very humorously, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I know, knowing <laughs> knowing certain individuals in the mod forum, I can understand why uh, some of them would not take that very. Um, Hello, XXX. This is an ongoing moderator investigation. I would ask again that you please answer the question as to why our site tools might have flagged your account in conjunction with the other accounts listed. Please do not play games with the mod admin team in your responses. Okay, it goes on. Okay, so he replies back this. He goes, Dear mod team, I understand your frustration. No human would like to hear the implication that they might be a robot. <laughs> so he responded back again. <laughs> However, I am not playing games, aside from diplomacy. Artificial intelligence is a very big problem, especially in online communities such as this one. You never know if you're dealing with a human behind the keyboard or a highly sophisticated algorithm. If you would take a few minutes to answer my questions... Is it the same questions or new questions? Same questions. I would be happy to respond. I need to feel safe that you aren't an AI. I truly apologise for the inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> What's the response to that? We would like to give you one final opportunity to respond to moderator inquiries with an appropriate response. Failure to do so will unfortunately result in us assuming the worst with the Garcia connections to these other accounts and we'll have to take action accordingly. You need to say to him, you know, you prove to us that you're not a bot. <laughs> Here's our questions. At, at, at which point he's, he wises up and, you know... So do you think he was legit, thinking that, that sounds bullshit to me. It's just like he's trying to, he's yanking your chain. He's, it's just a laugh. Like, you've got to take... Like, got to He's got to be like a <laughs> university student on fucking holidays who's just like... I don't know, smoked a little bit too much dope or something like that, and it's just having a bit of fun. And, you know, good on him. That That's quite creative, what he's done. It's a creative answer. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I just thought I'd share and, um, you know, just say, look, if you ever get pulled up in front of the mods, just tell them what you know. And there's no harm in doing that. If you've accidentally broken the site rules, then it's an accident. Okay, actually, yeah. I kind of think often it's... Um, yeah, by all means, if you get pulled up, you get pulled up, you've got to be kind of come clean straight away. But sometimes it doesn't hurt to also be proactive. You know, if you're coming in with a group of people, just know, let send, us know. send yeah. a quick note to the mod, say, hey, look, you know, whatever the reason is, we're a bunch of friends, we just want to play amongst ourselves, you know what I mean? Um, nothing, you know, we're all in the same uh, time zone, whatever. Maybe they're all in the same, I don't know, university campus and all going through the same, you know, network or whatever, I don't know. Just be proactive. Just kind of let people know. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know about. Don't ask about how you're going to feel when you kind of look at back at the at Earth from the moon. <laughs> what what colours would you paint? How would you feel painting them? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, hey, is it time to record a Patreon? Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Kind of good idea, man. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Till next time. It's always a pleasure. We should do this more often. I agree. If only we could fucking get away from work. <laughs> Have a good one, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.